New seventh graders, if you weren't here last week, welcome. We're glad you guys are here. I'm glad all of you guys are here, and, uh, and we're starting a new series tonight. Tonight starts uh, week one of our Kingdom of God series, and so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and, uh, and if you're looking, for, uh, and you're looking for the 21st chapter, okay, Matthew chapter 21, and as you turn there, I want to ask you a question. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, Kingdom of God? What comes to mind when you hear the phrase kingdom of God? Yeah, Connor. Heaven? Okay. What else? Yeah. Big city made of gold. Okay. What else? What comes to mind when you hear the phrase kingdom of God? How about one more? Anyone? Yeah, Dalton. Place of peace. Okay. Um, well, I'm glad we're going to cover this, uh, this, this topic, uh, the kingdom of God. Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of God. In fact, his, the presence of his kingdom on earth and the coming of his future kingdom was the central message that Jesus preached. And it was through this message of the kingdom that he told people to repent and to believe. Now, I mentioned last week that the term kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, they're used interchangeably, is used approximately 98 times in the New Testament. When John the Baptist preached, he went out saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, When Jesus preached, he repeated the same message, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus sent out his apostles to preach, he sent them out with the same message. They were told to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, what's the kingdom of God? What is God's kingdom? That's what we're going to spend the next four weeks answering, minus the pause that we're going to take next week for the Wandering Wednesday. Uh, We'll look at exactly what God's kingdom is now uh, and what it will be and then what it means for us to, as followers of Christ, to be a part of that kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is not just, uh, it's sort of multifaceted. And so we're going to dig in together and uh, and look at what it is. Jesus often used parables or stories um, to illustrate his teachings about the kingdom of God. And so throughout this series, we're going to take a look at some of the parables that Jesus taught about in the king, uh, that you, Jesus used to teach about the kingdom of God. And, and we'll use those to get a better understanding of what God's kingdom is and what it means for us, uh, his church, to be a part of it, okay? So the first parable we'll be looking at uh, is in Matthew chapter 21. Um, remember what I just said about being a, a walker in the food pantry flow? Like if you don't do it, the opportunity will be given to somebody else, right? It's, it's sort of like this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? It's pretty awesome. I mean, you get to wear a Cheerio box, right? Um, but if you don't take it, the, the offer will be given to somebody else. And, and uh, uh, we're going to see in this parable tonight uh, a group of people who were given an offer that's way more important than walking in a parade and collecting food, even as awesome as it sounds to wear a tomato soup can, okay? Um, and when they neglected to do what was asked of them, they faced some serious consequences. And so we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 44 tonight. But first, I want to give you a little background info. And we'll do this each week as we, uh, as we go through these parables to help us get a better understanding of the context in which Jesus was teaching. Uh, and so, uh, so we can, we can uh, have all the information that we need uh, in order to go through these. Okay, so here's the breakdown. The who... Jesus is speaking primarily to the Jewish leaders, uh, specifically those that had been questioning him earlier in the chapter, earlier in chapter 
21. These guys thought that they were big stuff because of all the, of their knowledge of the law. They were the, the Jewish religious leaders, and, and they used this knowledge um, to gain status and to gain power over uh, the people instead of leading the people to the truth. All, the, all that knowledge and all that understanding or, or, or uh, all the knowledge that they had in, in their, uh, of the scriptures and all that, it was just for status, for them. It was a personal uh, selfish thing that, for them, okay? And so Jesus' harshest words were almost exclusively reserved for his encounters with these so-called religious elite the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, and so on. Uh, the where. Jesus had been teaching in the temple, and uh, we have a couple pictures here. Oh, it's kind of washed out a little bit, but um, that's, that would be, the first one was Jerusalem uh, around Jesus' time, and then you can go to the next one. The temple's up there at the top, and this was, this was the temple where they would meet, and, and uh, in that inner court there uh, is the priest's court, and this is where they would hang out, and, uh, and Jesus would go in and, and teach uh, and talk to them, okay? Um, so this is in Jerusalem, and, and this is when he was confronted by the, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, like I said, uh, and they questioned the authority by which Jesus taught. And so uh, he's presumably still in the temple during this time when he's telling this parable. And, uh, and so just imagine that the Jewish leaders standing there in the courtyard of the temple that was built as a dwelling place for God himself, right? And God himself in the flesh is standing there in front of them and they don't even realize it. And they're sitting there asking him where his authority is coming from. There's a lot of irony in there, okay? And and so uh, now we get to the when. This parable is spoken a few days before Jesus is crucified. Uh, A few days later, he's going to go to the cross. Uh, Two days before this, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and, and many thought that he was coming to establish his earthly kingdom. This is earlier in Matthew chapter 21. And Jesus did come to earth uh, to begin his kingdom, but it wouldn't be the typical earthly kingdom that, that's established in a city, that, that people uh, think you know, um, of a ruler coming and setting up reign over a city or over a, a, a country or uh, a section of land. His kingdom, instead, would be established in the heart of, of every believer and will one day be fully realized when he returns. And so his eternal kingdom will be made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers who have faithfully followed him while they live on the earth. And so for more information on that, um, you can look up Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And I encourage you to read that later on this week. Matthew chapter 5, 31 through 46. Okay, the Why? The purpose of this parable is to show the Jewish leaders that they had failed to care for God's kingdom as they had been entrusted to do. And so Jesus also uses this parable as a prophecy um, to predict his death at the hands of the Jewish leaders. And then lastly, the how. It was a common thing, a common practice at the time for a wealthy landowner to rent out his land to others and to have them work to harvest its crop. Uh, or, or its fruit. And so Jesus takes a common situation of that time, which he often did in his parables, and he uses it to create a metaphor for Israel's relationship with God. He also takes a passage from Psalm uh, 118 and prophetically applies that to himself as well. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So with that context in mind then, let's read Matthew chapter 21, and we'll start in verse 33. 
in my Bible, this is titled The Parable of the Evil Farmers. In yours, it might be titled The Parable of the Tenants or the Evil Tenants or something along those lines. Okay? Verse 33. Listen to another parable. This is Jesus speaking. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. Again, like I said, it was common practice in that time for landowner to rent out his land or his farm uh, to others who would farm it, okay, who'd farm it for him. Who do you think Jesus is using uh, the landowner in this parable to refer to? Yeah, God. Excellent. And what do you think the vineyard represents? Anybody? Anybody want to take a guess at that? That one's not quite as obvious right off the bat. The kingdom? Okay. What's that? Heart. Uh, it, it's God's people, okay? At that, at that time, it was Israel. And, uh, and now his people includes anyone who, uh, who's repented and believed in him. So all followers of Christ. Um, but, it, but in that parable, he's using that to represent the people of Israel. Uh, and so he also uses farmers, or, or uh, they're also called, they'll also be called tenants, uh, to refer to the Jewish religious leaders that we just talked about. And so the symbolism is, uh, here is of God entrusting Israel, uh, or the, the Jewish leaders, to care for and to grow his kingdom, his people, okay, and to lead them to the truth. First Chronicles sixteen twenty three through 26 says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And so the command is for his people to sing uh, to all the earth, to tell of all the earth of his salvation. So Israel wasn't just meant to be um, God's people, they were expected then to be a light to the nations around them. They were to grow God's kingdom. And the same is true for any who claim to follow Christ today. So, again, what is God's kingdom? Uh, here's, here's a definition, and I forgot to put it up on the screen for you, so I'll, I'll say it a couple times so you can write it down if you want. But here's one definition simply puts it this way, okay? Um, God's kingdom is the people of God under the rule of God. The people of God under the rule of God. And so when we work to expand God's kingdom, we're trying to bring more and more people under God's rule by revealing his authority over them and urging them to submit to that authority in their lives. Okay? So are we clear on that? So the kingdom of God is the people of God under the rule of God. And as we uh, grow and and build the kingdom of God, we're revealing his authority to others and, and calling on them to submit to that in their own lives. So let's read on. Verse 34. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And then he sent the other servants to them more than the first, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Okay, so far in this parable, we have the landowner who represents God. We have the vineyard, which represents God's kingdom or his people. Uh, We also have the farmers and the tenants who represent the Jewish religious leaders. And now we have the servants. Does anybody want to guess who they are? They represent? Yeah. God's people? The Gentiles? 
What do you guys know about the Old Testament? Anything? Who did God send to his people in the Old Testament? Lots of times. Judges, prophets, priests, right? And so uh, the, the servants represent these prophets and priests that, who remain faithful to God and whom God sent throughout the Old Testament uh, t- times to call Israel back to faithfulness to God. Um, but Israel, listen, Israel continually turned away from God because they had corrupt leaders. And so over time, God would, they, they would go corrupt, they would go their own way, and then God would um, send a judge or someone to lead them back to him. Uh, Jeremiah 32, 30 says, For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke, my, uh, provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. So Israel knew exactly what they needed to do to please God. They had his laws. They had his rules. They had his covenant, okay? But uh, they continually failed to follow him. This is sometimes called, and then, and then they would uh, be convicted of that. They, they would be overrun by their enemies, and, and then they would cry out to God, and, uh, uh, and he would send somebody to deliver them. Um, and this is sometimes called the cycle of sin or the cycle of apostasy, okay? And so um, I found this catchy little video to help you better have an idea or remember what the cycle of apostasy is. So let's watch this. That's right. By the end of the book of Judges, the Israelites had broken their covenant with God in every way imaginable. Some of the tribes of Israel were even killing each other. They were making idols. And some of the Levites, God's priests in Israel, were helping the other tribes worship the idols instead of God. The cycle of apostasy went down and down and down. Oh, the cycle of apostasy brings Israel to misery. It's not a pretty sight to see they go down and down again. They do what's right in their own eyes, and much too late they realize. And then to God apologize and come around again. Now they're good, and now they're bad. First they're happy, then they're sad. And now they need their heavenly dad to bail them out again. So do not do what Israel did Be a bright and faithful kid And you'll be happy that you did You won't go down again Well, that was just super awesome, Captain Pete Thank you very much So, we're all clear on what the cycle of apostasy is now, right? Okay so Israel repeated this cycle over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, okay? In my reading plan that I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm in um, Judges. And, uh, and Judges is just this, this over and over and over again. It says, um, well, here, I'll just read a couple things that I've highlighted here. In the first few chapters already, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served uh, the Baals and Asherahs, other gods. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Then you skip down a little bit. It says, but when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer. Uh, and then down a little bit further, it says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. And down a little further, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. The Israelites once again did evil in the side, uh, this is chapter four, in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into hands of Jabin. They cried out to the Lord for help. 
uh, and he, once again, he gave them a deliverer. Over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. And like the song said, uh, they figured it out before, uh, when it was too late. They got punished for it. And in, their, uh, in the midst of that, they cried out to God in repentance. And he sent them a deliverer to bring them back uh, to him. And the term evil in the sight of the Lord occurs in reference to Israel uh, and or its, excuse me, its leaders almost 40 times, almost 40 times throughout the Old Testament. Okay? So, let's keep reading this parable. Uh, but, but just keep that in, your, in, in the background, okay, in your mind. Verse 37, we'll read the next few verses here. Verse 37 says, Last of all, he sent his son to them, they will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is his heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And so they took him and threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. So the landowner finally sends, uh, he sent all these servants, and, and they all get beaten up or uh, um, uh, chased away. Okay, So he finally sends his son to them. Now, who do you think the son represents in this parable? Yes, Jesus, right? Uh, the farmers plot to kill the son in order to keep the land for themselves. Uh, and again, a, a selfish act. It's, it's all for them. Um, and Jesus is using this part of the parable then uh, to predict his own death at the hands of these Jewish leaders that he's talking to, these, these Jewish religious leaders. Okay? And then he finishes up the parable and he asks, he asks them a question. Now remember, they have just uh, recently have asked him where his authority came from. And now he tells this, this parable, among others, and, uh, and at the end of it, he asks them a question. So, let's read verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the, in the Scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, the parable is complete, and Jesus asks his audience a question. He asks these leaders a question. He says, what will the landowner, what will he do with those tenants? And they reply self-righteously because they don't realize yet that he's talking about them, uh, that the owner would put them to death and then find new tenants who would actually go out and do the work and, and give the fruits. But, again, they don't realize that these wretched wretches that they're talking about uh, is themselves. And then Jesus drops the bomb on them, and he, and he says, uh, he reveals that they are, in fact, the wicked tenants that he, he's been referring to in the parable. Jewish leaders were known for their knowledge of the Scriptures, but here Jesus mocks them and asks them if, if they've ever read them, because he knows that they know uh, that this, this, um, this passage that he's quoting from Psalm 118, he knows that they know it, uh, but they've been completely blind to it. They don't understand it, okay? They, they didn't uh, understand that it was referring to him. So he quotes the passage from Psalm 118, uh, and he uses it to show that they are the ones who have rejected him. So he also implies that he is the capstone or, or uh, also called the cornerstone. Okay, a cornerstone is the, is the first laid stone in, a, in a, uh, uh, the construction of a building at the outer corner 
of two masonry walls, okay? So, uh, so stone walls or, or brick walls or whatever, there's a, there's a stone that starts it all, and it's at the corner. It's the cornerstone. And that stone uh, is the base to make sure all other stones in the building are straight and level. Without that one, uh, you're not going to have a, 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 a well-built building. And so the Jewish leaders were the builders that were, uh, were put in charge of building God's kingdom among the people of Israel, but they rejected Christ, the chief cornerstone uh, that was needed to build it. And in verse 42, he says, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so the responsibility of, of building his kingdom was taken from them then and given to others who would build his kingdom upon the solid foundation of his life and his teachings. Uh, and, for, and for more on that, I'd invite you to read 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 this week. Okay? So, we're in verse 33, or 43, excuse me. And we're going to read verses 43 and 44 of Matthew chapter 1 to finish this up. It says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. So that people that he's referring to, this other people, who do you think that is? Yeah. God's people. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Who, who's he talking about right there? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah, the message of the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. Uh, but listen, not all the Jews rejected Jesus. There's still a remnant of the Jews who believe. And so uh, the people who produce fruit, the people who, who God is, is using to build his kingdom now are all of the believers, both Jew and Gentile, who have put their trust in him and who are faithfully following him. That people, that's us. That's the body of Christ, the church. The ESV study Bible note for verse 43 says, the church will be a new people consisting of disciples, both Jews and Gentiles, gathered out of many nations and brought together as one nation in the unfolding of God's kingdom in the present age. Okay? Uh, as we talk about God's kingdom, we have to understand that it is currently here and it's also yet to come. And we're going to talk more about that later. But we have to understand that it's, that it's here, it's now. Uh, it's among us in the hearts of every believer. Jesus Christ, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone of a new building, his church. We're called the body of Christ, but we've also, in 1 uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, Peter refers to us as the building, as living stones built upon the, the, the chief cornerstone. And we, as his church, then, have been given the responsibility of spreading God's kingdom on earth. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The cornerstone is present always in the life of the believer. When Jesus came the first time, so did his kingdom. Now Jesus has left the task of spreading God's kingdom throughout 
uh, the world to his followers until he returns uh, to, to, uh, to bring the future kingdom into uh, the present, okay? And, and weed out all of, the, all of those who reject him uh, and, and take the ones with him who are faithful and who follow him, okay? And all who fall upon the cornerstone will be broken, it says. Uh, but but, all, but on, all on whom the stone falls will be crushed. So what that means is those who cast themselves upon Jesus, who submit their wills to him, and all that they are to him will be broken and humbled. And that, that's painful, right? It's painful to be broken and humbled. But they'll trade their arrogance, they'll trade their hard-heartedness and their self-centeredness for God's grace and his mercy and his freedom in Christ. But for those who, to, who continue to reject Christ, the chief cornerstone will one day fall on them like a gavel in a courtroom, and they will be crushed underneath the weight of God's judgment. Jesus offers mercy and forgiveness now, but listen, he promises judgment and punishment to come. And so to each one of us, Jesus Christ will either be a building block or a crushing stone. And so as we close tonight, I want you to think about uh, all those different roles that, that were played in this parable. Which one, which role will you play in the parable that, that we just read? Are you a farmer or a tenant who's rejected God and his commands? Maybe like the Jewish leaders, you've been playing church uh, for a long time. You know the right things to say. You may even, may even know the Bible well but you've never actually applied it to your life, okay? And, and you come and it's, it's more for show than anything else. You just sort of want the status. And the truth is that you've rejected the chief cornerstone. And if you don't cast yourself upon him, if you don't fall upon him now in brokenness and humility, then later you will receive the full weight of his judgment and his punishment. Or maybe you're not pretending to play church, but you just haven't put your uh, trust in Jesus yet. And I want to invite you to do that tonight, okay? The Bible says that there is one name under heaven by which we must be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. If you look for salvation from, from your sin anywhere else, then you've rejected him, and you too will fall under the same fate that the farmers uh, or the evil tenants did in this parable and the Pharisees had. But Christ offers you his forgiveness through his shed blood on the cross and eternal life through his resurrection from the dead. And so you can become a member of the kingdom of God tonight. Okay, don't wait. Submit yourself to him completely. Seek his forgiveness. Believe in him and follow him from here on out. Uh, and, it, and if you want to know how to do that, if you, wanna, if you have questions on that, I'd invite you to talk to me or one of the other hype leaders here tonight. Um, but, but don't wait. Don't wait, because the, 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 the mercy and the forgiveness, that's offered now, but one day that will be uh, finalized, and then there will be punishment to come for all, all who've rejected him. Or maybe you're that person uh, that Jesus referred to as a people who will produce, will produce its fruit. You've trusted Christ for your salvation, and you're living your life for him. If that's you, then, then I want you to take note of this, okay? You have been given the responsibility to build his kingdom here on earth. Now, don't mistake it. It's not your power that's doing that. 
It's God's power and God's spirit that convicts the hearts and changes the lives. But he's called you to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ to all the world. It's a priceless gift that you've been given. And if you neglect it, he'll find somebody else to do it, to go and produce his fruit. So don't miss out on the opportunity that you've been given. Go and make disciples and build the kingdom of God here on earth. Take advantage of that opportunity now. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that your kingdom has come and that those who have put their trust in you uh, and and, uh, follow you are part of that kingdom and that you've given us work to do here on this earth uh, to bring more under your reign uh, now before it's too late. Lord, your, your word says that one day all will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. So God, my prayer is that those in here tonight that uh, haven't uh, willingly done that yet will willingly do that tonight before they're forced to do it uh, in the the days of judgment to come. Lord, would you uh, do what only you can do? As we go through this series, would you convict hearts? Would you remind people of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness that's freely offered to them through your son, Jesus Christ? And would you draw people to you and change their hearts and their lives forever? And God, then send them out uh, to, uh, to impact the lives of others for your kingdom and for your glory and for our joy. We love you, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said?